Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. Uh, that looks like a picture of an old white guy. What is who? The, he, he looks like I should. I would recognize him if I knew my American history. Not American history. Oh. If you knew your global intellectual history. I don't know. Voltaire, who is it? I don't know. Let's just say. Wait, you Marx, don't know? Marx famously turned him on his head. Oh, is that Hegel? Except, except I can't turn him on his head because every time I turn him on his head, he the iPad writes him. Yeah, you got to yeah. do the auto lock thing. That's Hegel? And you know what? Yes, it's Hegel. Do you know why I'm holding a picture of Hegel, Bob? Because he said the owl of Minerva flies at dusk, and that means we will only understand the meaning of this Virginia election months from now, years from now, and there's no point in talking about it now. Is that? No. Nice try at a transition to, to nowhere. <laughs> That's where I'm um, hoping to go. That's, I'd rather the, go um, there than where you're uh, taking no, us. No. These, these people on the web who I sort of follow because they're involved in the child tax credit. Mm. I'll put a list of, you didn't see this? Who are your 10 big philosophers, theorists, economists who have influenced your views of the world? And they each list 10, and mm -hmm. they list people like Francis Fukuyama, Friedrich Hayek, uh, Amartya Sen, and uh, Sam Hammond, who goes by the name Hammond Cheese. On Twitter. He's, he's a player. Mm -hmm. Said uh, uh, Joseph Heath, Robert Brandom, I've never heard of, Charles Taylor, Friedrich Hayek, Michael Lind, Ronald Coase, and GWF Hegel. That's Hegel. That's, yes, we've seen him. And uh, and Robert Ryder. That's me. That's you. And I had no idea. I mean, I can handle Michael Lind. I can't handle Hegel. So you mean, I'm debating wait, Hegel. So somebody who's not nobody said I'm somebody? A bunch of people. You have a following. Unfortunately, the good news is you have a following. The bad news... who is that they're extremely misguided people who endorse the refundable child tax credit. So That's the you same know. litmus test I use, Mickey. I think we use it in different ways. But when I, <laughs> in fact, I just so, only last week checked to see Hegel's position on that on Wikipedia. I couldn't find it. Um, um, well, that's flattering. Well, and, you know, you should be you, you're going to get serotonin poisoning. I better. Well, and, and you know why that's nice of him? That's nice of Samuel no. to do that, because I once complained maybe in the parrot room about him having, I claimed, kind of misrepresented uh, my book in a mildly disparaging way, uh, arguably disparaging way, in a piece he wrote. And he, I, I'm pretty sure he was aware of that, and there was some kind of exchange. And yet, he doesn't hold it against me. Well, maybe, it wasn't a fair allegation, actually. It was me being maybe, too sensitive. Maybe you influenced him. You know, like my, my view is your book changed my life, not necessarily for the better. You mean the, moral, it, you mean the moral animal? The moral animal. The moral animal did change my life. It, it's one of the, one of the inflection points, mm -hmm. you might say, in terms of how I think of the world. But, uh, but knowing, the, knowing mankind's inherent inhuman, uh, evil nature, or at least men, uh, wasn't didn't necessarily make me sunnier uh, or more more idealistic. I don't know. It 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 may have made me a little more cynical. Oh but, God! Um, Am I to blame for your voting for Trump? It no, all started no. in 1994. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It 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 it, it would be might be better if everybody blissfully went through the world unaware of our deep subconscious urges. I but, I don't mention them anymore. I'm I I agree. Um, <laughs> are you are you you're joking, right?
Well, I, I haven't been doing well. No, I mean, I, I talk about subtler, uh, subtler, unfortunate things about human nature these days. The cognitive biases that sustain tribalism, Mickey. Not the raw I, lust that drives men to do I, bad I, things. I, I like the raw lust. I, I'm into the raw lust. Really? I don't want these you, Anything to things. share? Any recent? No, I just think it's a fundamental motivator. Well, um, for example. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. It doesn't explain Trump shifting our focus to the elections because he, he can't be motivated by sex. As, as we've discussed, he's motivated by attention. Right. And the attention is at this point disconnected from any sex. I mean, he can get sex if he yeah, wants Yeah, but that's, that's the thing. I mean, that's why I hesitated when you when you said, you know, lust motivates people to do great things or whatever you just said. Uh, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't directly. I mean, we have separate motivations to do to get things that have been correlated with reproductive success, like the drive for status may be there because it aids reproductive success. But that doesn't mean it is itself lustful. It is a drive for status. I mean, there's all kinds of things. You know, having friends was conducive to reproductive success. That doesn't feel anything like lust unless, you know, well, it depends on the friend, I suppose. But you know what I mean. Um, I can tell you all about that, Bob. You know, <laughs> I don't know. that has got parrot room written all over it. The, uh, well, no, it's, it's, um, it, it's well known that it's lonely out here for somebody who voted for Trump. Uh, but anyway, the elections quickly. Yeah. Uh, very good day. Very good for the Republicans. If you get rid of Paul Ryan, it turns out anything is possible. You really don't have to campaign on cutting Social Security, uh, cutting taxes, uh, foreign wars, and, uh, and this very strict sort of libertarian uh, budget mentality uh, that voters hate. And we've gotten rid of Paul Ryan, or the Republicans have gotten rid of Paul Ryan, and they're free to roam the country at will, actually talking about issues that voters care about. They're free to move to the left. They're free to, to endorse Social Security. They're free to, you know, they're, they're free to do a lot of things. They're free to be the Democratic Party without the woke bullshit that seems to be driving voters crazy, rightly so. So, uh, they're liberated. That's my well, lesson. Of this. I wouldn't and, quite say that the Democratic Party without the wokeness. There's some other things that we classically associate with the Democratic Party that they're not doing. But then again, neither are the Democrats. So, well, like, like what? Well, I mean, like um, soft infrastructure bill. I mean, they, they oppose that. That's class. That's that's pretty much standard no, that, issue. You know? They they just oppose that out of Darwinian jealousy and lust, Bob. Well, that's uh, they. That's kind they of not true. I, I mean. And, and, and certainly the local candidates that did well this year wouldn't oppose infrastructure. So so does that mean, wait, does that mean uh, right after the Virginia election, I, I was briefly living in fear that you were going to open this conversation with a big I told you so. But then as things played out. That hasn't happened yet. Hasn't happened. I, I mean, it's, you, you. It's happening even as we tape this. They are voting. Uh, They're gearing up to vote on the soft infrastructure bill in Congress. Yeah, we should. To remind people what triggered me last week was, uh, well, there were a few dimensions to your argument. I mean, you, you, uh, the one that I think drove me crazy was you're saying that it was it, it was logical to view the Virginia election as, among other things, a referendum on soft infrastructure, which I did. And I haven't heard many people interpreting. In other words, it, assuming that the Republican won, that's, as he did. That, that's not my argument at all. That was your argument I don't think. last week, wasn't it? I don't think so. 
Well, you, you a, were saying it it's, would it's be a part deep. of referendum on the on the Biden administration and that they're doing things that we don't care about. But but based my, my argument is that the Virginia election would terrify uh, Democratic moderates who think that there might be a similar reaction of voters to the big soft infrastructure bill. Not that the voter, not that not that the uh, voters in Virginia said we don't want this soft infrastructure, so we're not going to vote for Terry McAuliffe. That's a bit of a stretch, right? But but, but, but you said it would be read that same, way to some extent. Well, it'll be it'll be it, it will be read not as no. You, it can have the effect of terrifying the moderates, even if the Virginia election wasn't about uh, wasn't about soft infrastructure. In other words, the same sort of uh, pissed offness that led people to vote Republican in Virginia might nationally, they might be pissed off enough about soft infrastructure and, and, uh, and you know, critical race theory and wokeness and, and various things that are national issues were in Virginia. Well, see, that that's why, um, I mean, I think that's the critical distinction. Is it taken as a referendum on wokeness or is it taken, as I took you to be saying, uh, to some extent, as a referendum on the kinds of democratic policy initiatives represented in soft infrastructure? Because well, that- I want to see it to some extent taken as a referendum on wokeness, because I think it would be good for the Democrats to pull back on that front. I don't think it would be good for the Democrats to pull back on the basic idea of delivering material benefits to lower and middle income people. I think that's how I, you beat Trump. Stick with that and drop a lot of the wokeness. Well, I um I agree on delivering the benefits. The 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 all I'm saying is that my, congressmen are paranoid. They're always worried about how am I going to get defeated? I'm going to lose by one vote if I don't make this phone call. Oh my god, this mm-hmm. is going to kill me. Uh and so they look at Virginia and, and the Democrats see that voters were pretty pissed off about some Democratic shibboleths. Uh, and, hey, you know, th- there's a whole bunch of stuff in this bill that we don't want. And it seems a little crazy to voters. And they might get mad about that, too. And they were there. You know, the, Pelosi can only lose three votes. If four of them get skittish, the bill is dead. Yeah. So uh, that that was my thinking was that it would be it. It's sort of indirect wake up call. And there is a theme, I think, that encompasses all of them. It is unfortunately a theme that Barry Weiss got to first, which is stop the madness. So the Democrats are just a little gone, a little crazy. Wait, that was her. That was cu- her phrase. You used that last week. And I t- her phrase is a world gone mad, apparently. Uh, a world gone mad. Uh, well, she's talking I, I, mainly I, about the wokeness, I, probably, isn't she? Yeah, the, but I, the, I, I mean, so I'll, I'll, let, let me help you out if you want to claim vindication. Uh I mean, a kind of vindication. Uh, the, uh, you know, obviously after an election like this, uh, kind of everybody claims it as, as a vindication of their their worldview. You're going to have somebody claiming that it's to some extent a referendum on soft infrastructure. The question is who's saying it. And consequentially, I heard Joe Manchin say a version of it on Fox News. Did you, uh, you know, he's saying, well, and I think this is a, Kind of a crazy argument, but he's saying, well, people are worried about inflation and, you know, this bill could be inflationary. Well, first of all, as long as you raise taxes uh, to pay for it, which Joe Manchin may get in the way of, I don't know, but then it won't be, you know, n- notably inflationary. But uh, the other thing is, I think, you know, yeah, people are worried about inflation, 
And I know the feeling, as you know, I, I, I need to buy a car. My car's on its last legs. And it's a horrible feeling to like see, you know, you got you to gotta pay a couple of thousand dollars above manufacturer suggested retail price. And you're hearing that, well, unless you want to wait a year, you better buy now. And that's like the worst feeling in the world. And I'm sure Americans all have their own versions of not liking uh, incipient inflation. But it seems to me that the average American isn't sitting there asking themselves which legislation is inflationary. They're sitting there saying, well, as long as there's going to be inflation, yeah, I could use a little government help on my on my uh, child. They don't seem to be saying that. Payments. Poll came out today, said more people think this bill is going to hurt them than help them. It was like 39 to 32. That's better than before when it was like 33 to 25. Again, I'm, I'm not. They don't think the bill is. I'm not them. sure people know uh, have a very clear idea what's right, in the bill. But, but, but once it's passed, you, Democrats have something to talk about. They can tell people what's in it, uh, and and if it's paired with hard infrastructure, that's all the more stuff they can talk about. I mean, there's also the argument. I, I, there, go ahead. There are a lot of the lot of parts of the bill that are not going to roll out for a while. Most people think the parental leave thing is a disaster on the left. They think the childcare thing is going to dramatically raise costs. Uh, by $13,000 or so, uh, and the subsidies are not going to keep up. So it's not clear that that, that that a couple of provisions, those are two big ones, are they really going to say, oh, great, gee, I'm so happy you passed this bill within the next year. You know who dis- I mean, disagrees with you on uh, parental leave? John Alter, I think. I, I heard him. A on, lot of people. I do. heard him on a podcast, and I think he should be put in charge of Democratic strategy. I mean, he's got a plan. But- you know, he he said he's a smart guy. Yeah. And and, uh, but, you know, and 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 uh, we both know him. And and uh, but but does does he know how the parental leave bill is structured? It's structured in this like completely crazy way. I mean, David Diane, who's a man of the left, uh, writes for the American edits, the American prospect, uh, uh, you know, described all the, the paperwork you have to go through. First, you have to find out if, if your employer covers it, then you have to file a, a some paperwork with the state. If the state doesn't cover it, then you go to the feds. I mean, you know, if you can do that, they should just they should give you money just to do that. You're you're obviously super competent if you can negotiate this bureaucratic maze. It's insane. Well, I don't know. I don't know the nuts and bolts, but John's idea and he like, I don't think John does either. Well, That's he may not. But, but his he seems to think it polls well enough that he thinks what the Democrats should do. He it was he was on some some podcast where they were talking about how Democrats can recover from this uh setback, which of course was much broader than uh than um anything uh, we anticipated. You and I had been talking about a Virginia uh a Virginia setback. They, right. They swept offices, all the offices in Virginia, they regained the house, they came very close to New Jersey. Many analysts claim the New Jersey thing is more troubling because they lost a bigger percentage of the vote and they lost ground among Hispanics and white blue blue collar workers. And they uh, lost all the prosecutor's offices on Long Island. It was a really grim night, not just Virginia. Yes. So John says they should uh, go back next year, assuming that parental uh, or whatever parental leave drops out of the bill and assuming it passes, I guess, go back next year and and force Republicans to vote on just just this parental leave. He thinks it's that powerful uh, an issue. But, Get them on the know, record but, voting against it. I it doesn't resonate with me. I mean, my my ally in the child tax credit fight, Scott Winship of AEI, thinks it's very important. So they're 
You know, there are people I respect and 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 and, and, and Hegel uh think it parental leave is very important. So um uh I just don't see it as a as a as a issue that's gonna sweep the nation the way Social Security or or Medicare or you know ex- providing uh maybe you know Bernie's right providing additional benefits for Medicare uh would be more popular. Uh it, it's just more more it's more universal. Not that many people face this parental leave dilemma. Yeah. Uh if if they did, I think it would be more powerful. But it would be better if the Democrats all along had picked two or three things and said, you know, we only have a small majority, but these are really important things, and here's why. And now we're going to pass them. Instead, they think they said, oh, my God, we're going to lose Congress. We better pass everything we ever wanted in this one big bill right now. No, I, I uh, would have liked to see more focus. I mean, if they just uh, just something as consequential as lowering the age for Medicare, you know, by five or yeah, 10 years. Yeah, that'd be great. That, that uh, you know, but and that would be right. enduring. Um, but anyway, right. they are where they are. I mean, there is the argument that uh, I, I mean, a, a question is, do you think at this point it is tactically smart for the Democrats if they can to get the bill passed? I think it is. To, if they can get both bills passed, that's. Well, I think they have to pass. Well, well, well they have to pass the the hard infrastructure and. That vote is coming up this afternoon or this Supposedly. evening. Supposedly, I don't know. And you really think yeah, so? Yeah, there's a, in theory. No, I think I think it might be a disaster. I mean, they were supposed to vote. He, he, can I give you the state of play on infrastructure quickly? Uh, okay, you have infrastructure permission for two minutes. Okay, basically the the left, the progressives had liked the soft bill and wa- wanted to hold the hard bill hostage and refused to pass the hard bill until they got. Right. They originally wanted the Senate to vote on the hard bill, but uh, this is in the House. But they, uh, they then they were going to settle for assurances. They didn't get those assurances. So they basically stopped them from voting on it before the election. After the election, they got a whole bunch of grief saying uh, probably wrongly that you had caused this election loss, but also rightly that what are you doing holding up this bill that B- Biden wants and everybody wants? And it's a uh, a popular bill, and you're making us look like idiots, and they cave, they flip, and now they will vote. They say they will vote for the bill, the hard bill, the popular hard bill that everybody loves, uh, even though they have no assurances the Senate is going to do anything with their big soft bill if they pass it. Okay, today, this very day, it 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 came up. They were going to vote on the hard, the soft bill first to give the progressives a sort of fig leaf before they voted on the hard bill. The soft bill is now no longer a bill that's going to pass the Senate. It's just a bill of the House people saying what they want to happen. It has parental leave. It has immigration. It doesn't have immigration. And then the Senate would change it if they... The Senate will change it, which means it has to repass the House. Which means it's meaningless, so, right? Which means it's relatively meaningless, yes. Uh, so they're going to pass this meaningless bill as a stop to the progressives. And then the idea was the progressives were they going to march in lockstep and swallow their pride and vote for the hard bill, which does decrease their leverage because, you know, everybody can say, hey, we got the one bill. What do we need the second one for? So uh, that failed. They, they did not pass. They were going to pass this meaningless soft bill and they didn't do it. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the votes. The moderates rebelled. And all they're going to do is now is pass the rule to set up the vote for the soft bill. 
Then, then they intend to go later and pass the hard bill anyway. And it remains to be seen if enough progress, if, if you know, all it takes is four progressives to defect and say, fuck you, we're not giving up our leverage for the bill to go down. So, I, uh, no, sorry, it takes more than that because some Republicans are going to vote for it. It takes like 20. But I, I thought, there are 96 people in the Progressive Caucus, so it's possible. I thought I saw, you know, the uh, the Democrat whose name I don't remember who is head of the Progressive Caucus or something, you know, her name is. It's kind of not classically American. You would know it. Oh, oh, Jayapal? Precisely. I saw on Twitter shortly before we taped, I thought, her saying, look, we'll just wait. Um, Really? Yeah, maybe maybe I misunderstood it. I would just be shocked if a vote— We'll wait for the hard bill? That would be— I thought she said she wanted to wait and vote for both of them uh, together. That's what I thought. Really? That's That would be— that that indicates a real weakness in her position because her she'd been very contrite. You know, she led the she led her caucus into the doghouse. You know, everybody was pissed off at them, and uh, and and she was very contrite and saying, "Oh yes, we're going to vote for the hard bill." Um, and I guess she fe- she feels she couldn't muster the progressive uh, within her own caucus for support for doing it. Without Assuming I read this tweet so, right. So it's all a train wreck. So it's a huge well, train wreck. Well, I may have read the tweet wrong, but that's the, I, I got that train wreck vibe. The, our 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 viewers will and listeners will know the truth. Right. Uh, it, it's it's weird how the way to find out the news now is to completely ignore the mainstream media and go directly to Twitter. It's like so much faster. Well, for breaking not, stuff, they're that's not been even true for a while. They, yeah, but there used to be there was a point to go to the New York Times. I mean, they had a crew on that would follow the breaking stuff. They had blogs. You know, Real Clear Politics was pretty fast. No, all of that stuff for a, a vote like this, the changes minute by minute, ignore all those people and go directly to Jake Sherman and Heather Hagel's Twitter feed, the correspondents who are on the scene, and you'll find out what's happening. Um. So... Uh... Yeah. I, 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 there's one point about Trump. Yeah. There are all these, there are all these, uh, a lot of commentary about how this Virginia hurt Trump because it showed you could win without Trump, and it does show you could win without Trump, uh, sort of with Trumpist issues. But you can win, like uh, like uh, you know, political correctness and CRT. But um, uh, the uh, but you know. Yes, but and Trump may be offended by that, but he's going to run. So it doesn't do anything to stop Trump. It actually, of course, encouraged Trump because it shows the incredible weakness of the Democrats and the weakness of Biden is 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 becoming uh, you know very clear. I mean, my friend John Ellis thought that Monday was worse than Tuesday for Biden because on Monday, a poll came out saying 44 percent of his party didn't want him to run for reelection. Count me in and, that category. And, and, you know, and there was another intermediate category. Only a third wanted him to run for re-election. And apparently that's those are Jimmy Carter-like numbers. Those are astoundingly bad numbers. And if they persist, somebody on the left is going to challenge him. I'm for uh, that. So, uh, but Trump is going to look at that and say, the challenge from the left is going to weaken Biden. It's mine for the taking. And why shouldn't he take it? Even if he's not necessary to win. He wants to have yep. it, so he's going to do it unless somebody stops but him. Do, well, don't you think the results of this election have, especially <laughs> in Virginia, have emboldened people who might want to challenge him? I mean, Ross Douthat says that uh, Yunkin himself should. Oh, uh, yeah, that. he wants Yunkin. 
Well, you know, there's another Yunkin showed that you can sort of keep the Trump voters, especially in the primary, and then switch to win the swing voters in the general. Mm -hmm. And you know who else is following that strategy, Bob? Mm. Young man named J.D. Vance in Ohio. Oh, who who uh, this week said, quote, the professors are the enemies. You know, it's funny. People like him talk about wokeism as being the cultural revolution. What he said is right out of the cultural revolution. It's like, yeah, let, let's go round up the professors, put them in public squares, shame them. Uh, and if they don't recant, kill he them. didn't say that. He just said they're the enemy. He wants to cut off their funds. Uh, but that kind of language. Don't get me started on that guy. He will say anything. Oh, he, you can't say enemy. I'm you just have to say when I, when like I see a professor, that's OK. Just don't say what? Just say it alone in isolation like you said it. That's fine. You can say enemy. Watch. Enemy, enemy, enemy. But if you start talking I, about groups of people as the enemy, I would say in the current I can't say academia is the enemy. I mean, that, academia is overwhelmingly liberal. At he this didn't point. say so academia. Conservative, they are the he enemy. He said the professors are the enemy. I just hate that kind of shit. What the professors is, an, I, is I don't, a shorthand I, for academia. In this kind of political environment, you know, when you've got more than the usual number of crazy people, for one thing, uh, running around doing crazy shit. I think you should be careful with language like that. But I am so old fashioned. Um, by the way, we uh, should say, you know, you know. Who, well, you know, you're you're very old. I am old. And look at the fashion. I, mean, I am fashioned. Um, the uh, so, you know, who kind of laughed at your support? Uh, oh, he was too polite to really drive the point home. But but but. Uh, your support of J.D. Vance was no less than and no other than Walter Kern, whom we had in the parrot room last week. And when I brought up J.D. Vance, his first reaction was to laugh, Mickey. And then and then when he when he learned that you're a big Vance supporter, the common human decency in him prevailed and he acted like Vance isn't a total clown, which was nice of him. You're uh, you're you're very old fashioned, Bob. Uh, let me see that guy um, again. What is it, Wilhelm Frederick? What What are his first names? I think GWF. G I George William Wilhelm Frederick. I think so. Um, it looks like he could have some subliminal Darwinian motives himself. Look at that. Yeah, I wouldn't mess with that guy. He looks a little yeah, like me. Looks a lot like me. And this is this is the flattering portrait. <laughs> this is Christ. the flattering version of um, me. You should so, you should um, see the, how bad I look on my last podcast. Well, I just don't think I just don't think Walter knows that much about J.D. Vance. I mean, maybe he does. He spends all his life driving around the country, so maybe he's, uh, you know. But, I mean, everybody agrees when J.D. Vance talks to a respectable crowd wearing his sports coat, he's great, okay? The only question is, are his tweets too Trumpy? And uh, they are. Hard to believe they're too Trumpy for Walter. Well, you were there. And I, I, I've repressed this. And by, of course you I, did. I, I, I take your word for uh, it. Trust me, if you look closely at his reaction, uh, it's not something you'd like to see. No wonder you liked him so much. By the way, special uh, treat at the end of this podcast, if you stay tuned after Mickey and I sign off, there is a short highlight reel of Walter talking in the parrot room last week. Uh, which I got to admit is, uh, among other other things, a, a way of encouraging people to uh, go to Patreon and sign on because then you know they can watch that and everything else in the archives. But also, it's just worth uh, it's worth watching him. He's a he's a good orator and a fascinating character. 
And, you know, I got a little heat, I think. Did I? For, there were some commenters who clearly wish I'd given him more pushback. You know, Walter's a very eloquent guy, and the point is to tease out his eloquence, you know, before you before you start chipping away at him. I mean, he can he can handle a debate. Uh, yeah. So, but um, anyway, with if uh, you know, if we had another hour, we could attack him. Uh, I sort of, I sort of agree with him. I would probably. Oh yeah. Defend. Well, we keep having these guests in the parrot room who are, who are more in your wavelength than mine. It's, I don't know. I, I seem to have lost control of the process. We've had two, and they've both been great. So, what's the problem? What's the problem? They are great, but I worry that if they are the reason people. Uh, you know, sign on at Patreon. Pretty soon we'll have a whole parrot room full of people who like you more than me. That's my concern. Ah, okay. I think we need ba more balance in uh, among interviewees. Now, so Mickey, this is like a replacement theory for the parrot room. You want to replace my viewers with your viewers. Those are your words. That's your dog whistle, not mine. Um, <laughs> who am I the, whistling uh, to? <laughs> Well, replacement is a word we've discussed before. Yes, but who's the electorate of the parrot room? I'm, I'm whistling through the... Uh, well, you're, you're trying to, uh, I guess, radicalize my fellow uh, progressives or some my fellow anti-Trumpers, trying to, to, get, to bring out their, their most reptilian impulses because you know that'll backfire on them. How's that? Um, trying to make them feel threatened. I'm so trolling Mickey, them, okay. Uh, yeah, go ahead. What, 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 let's see what has happened in the world. So there's this Durham investigation that's starting to get a little more interesting. Yeah, I, I guess it's more interesting. I mean, I um, I think it is. I I want. I, I you want to say what's happened this past week? Because well, we should say Durham is this guy that William Barr appointed to do the kind of in, in the Justice Department in the waning days of the Trump administration, I guess, to do the kind of investigation. Trump would like, which is to kind of, I guess his mandate was to look into the origins of Russiagate right. and see if Democrats, it had been like a Democrat constructed hoax. But he's, well, and he's already convicted one FBI lawyer for lying to the FISA court. So. Wait, they, he convicted somebody? He I didn't pled know that. Oh, 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 pled guilty. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the second guy, the Sussman guy. Who he says kind of misled FBI people, and and he's a he's a Hillary guy, right? The he's a he's but, in, he was he's in the the old Hillary the Dem, big Democratic law firm, I think headed by Mark Elias. He's since quit, and uh, Elias has defended him very forcefully. So let's give the guy the presumption of innocence. But uh, yeah, and also it turns out that the the claim that it's it, it is a pretty remote. Uh, allegation the FBI is is uh, and, and, th that is being made and, about and the him, allegation against this Russian guy I couldn't is more interesting is it okay why is it more interesting well because he was a primary source for the Steele dossier right okay he's the Russian guy and it's looking like he was in uh, repeated contact with people in the Hillary campaign. And he has lied, I think, repeatedly to the FBI about that. So now you're seeing, you know, now you're seeing a scenario whereby potentially Hillary people could have been involved in constructing the Steele dossier, right? Like they're talking to the Russian guy that Steele is saying is one of his big sources and encouraging him to say things, right? That, right. That's okay. interesting. That, that is interesting. The, uh, there, are, there was one troubling thing. The, the, part of the indictment was 
And they, you know, this this teller guy he talked to has a lot of connections with Russia. And they and one one of the parts of the indictment is they it, the the dossier was the the source for the P tape, the idea that Trump had prostitutes urinate on the bed where yeah. Obama slept. I was something. I was can, I can proudly say I was skeptical from the beginning. Trump is just not a golden shower kind of guy. So well, they weren't showering him; they were showering the bed. So In seems like case, a key difference. I'm, I'm a believer, uh, but anyway, <laughs> no, I, I, I was. Uh, but but anyway. They, they visited the hotel and they talked to the guy who runs the hotel. And this is supposed to be an indictment of them as part of the indictment. But it's also exactly what a journalist would do. You want to find that you would talk, go and you'd go to the hotel and check it out and check out the layout and talk to the guy who runs it. So I don't see why it's incriminating that that this this Russian guy who fed stuff to the dossier actually seems to have gone and checked it out. It makes no sense at all. So the, 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 I, is that one of the allegations? It's I don't part of the factual chronicle. It's not It's not a crime, but it's the factual predicate for... And then, he, you know, they, they lay out a whole fact. It's, uh, it's a... Uh, hmm. They don't just... Hmm. It's not one of the charges against hmm. it, but but it's being held as this, this, this ominous thing. And it could be really ominous, but if you're making shit up, you don't have to visit the hotel. You can just make it up, yeah. right? Uh, so, yeah, um, but I, I do think I mean, it, this may not I guess it may not pan out, but it sounds like a, a clear step beyond what they had before. Before they had kind of like a, a Hillary guy, I think flacking. Was he flacking the dossier to the FBI without without saying he was a Hillary guy yeah, or what? It was, basically. So that's that's nothing, especially since he has no obligation to say that he is a Hillary guy. It's just that if he. If he does say anything about it, it has to oh, be Oh, I assume they asked him, but, but that's, I, I'm not sure. But I, I assume they- The other thing is, it turns out the, the FBI agent he was talking to did not himself make contemporaneous notes. He talked to another agent and reported it to him, and that guy took contemporaneous notes. Huh. I, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. The, 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 the case seemed vulnerable. Uh, this 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 thing is more interesting. Not as, uh, anyway, so I if you wonder what Durham's- plan is he i guess his plan to flip this guy and have him tell on the dossier people and the higher ups and but but uh presumably they've asked him all those questions is he going to now change his answers i mean it i don't well, yeah because now he may go to jail if he doesn't give them what they want yeah. he didn't he wasn't in that frame of mind yeah. before it's very weird that he's associated with the brookings institution which is about as respectable that too respectable a place which perhaps only semi-deservedly so. But Interesting uh, you should mention that, uh, because I just had a conversation uh, with Eli Clifty, Clifton of Quincy, who, uh, who does, do, you know, works on where the money comes from that goes to the think tanks. So and we talked about that on the podcast. It'll be out Tuesday. Um, um, the, um, the, the, the sort of old Brookings and new Brookings, the old Brookings scholars are great, like their labor economists and the Henry Aaron types. Uh, I hope Henry Aaron's still there. Uh, and he, uh, and, uh, and then there's this sort of, like all think tanks, it's had the horror for funding and Jim Johnson, the man who's destroyed the world, ran it for a while. And he started a bunch of what seems to me bogus sections. Uh, so, uh, it's not as great an institution as it used to be. Well, all the think tanks are in the, yeah. are in that game and it's, it's, it's often corrupting. Um, um, one day, maybe we, maybe we should join that game. We could pause uh, right now 
and have, you know, an advertisement for Meta. I'm game. Okay. I'm game. If I'll get a free uh, Oculus Quest or whatever it's called, I I'm mean, game. Hegel didn't have to do that. Those were the days, uh, man. But, so there was this horrible story. Speaking of people with, with uh, strong defenses, there's a, this terrible story on NPR. I mean, I, I, I got had to go, go somewhere in my car, so I heard a lot of NPR stories. And uh, it was basically, you know, total a total propaganda story of like three cases of white supremacy there's the arbery shooting there was uh i forget what the second one was oh the charlottesville civil trial and and then there was the uh the rittenhouse is that the guy's name in in yeah. in wisconsin the and, and, and they, they made shot a, a guy. He, he killed people and uh and and they crowdfunded his defense well but it turns out he has a pretty damn strong defense because uh, the the people he killed were trying to kill him. Uh, he maybe he shouldn't have been there with a gun, but as soon as he showed up with a gun, people tried to attack him. And when they when they came after him, he shot him and killed them. He was a very good shot. So right. he was that's the a, guy. There, that's a there were go ahead. there were two guys who killed people. Right? Was he the guy that one guy was chasing? I mean, the it, guy wasn't armed, right? He he didn't shoot an armed guy. There was a shot that went off. One guy lunged for his gun. It, these are like all amid cries of, you know, get him. You know, so he lunged for his gun. And another guy came at him swinging his skateboard, I believe, for his head. Oh, so it's that. It's that one. Okay. Uh, yeah. And so uh, there was one guy, I believe, that was more questionable than the others. But two of them seemed pretty clear self-defense. And the prosecution's witnesses have all testified to this now, apparently. So uh, the prosecution's witnesses, the prosecution's witnesses are called are well, they're 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 talking about all the threats against Rittenhouse. Yes. Well, it's on video. I mean, you can pretty much see what happened. Right, and the and the prosecution's witnesses, of course, you know, work for the Daily Caller, and they're not left wing people. But um, if those are the prosecution's witnesses, what about the defense's witnesses? So uh, it, it's it's. I mean, what's the reaction going to be if this guy is acquitted? Maybe he won't be acquitted anyway. But um, I mean, I, I thought um, I thought the George, I thought the Floyd guy might be acquitted. Of course, there's no chance of that. So I live in a cocoon when it comes slimmer. to these trials. That was slimmer. This is more. This is more likely. I think an acquittal is more likely. Uh, and it, I, I don't know. I don't know what the law is in that state on stuff like this and standing your ground, but. Um, so uh, here's a guy, question. If a guy's about to hit you in the head with his skateboard, I think you're allowed to defend yourself. But. Um, I, I guess I, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, but I mean, the, but but th there will be the whole question of like, was was that a lethal? I, I didn't. I don't remember the guy swinging the skateboard at him. Maybe you're right. If I saw the video, if, if the guy's clearly trying to hit him in the head with a skateboard, that seems like a genuine threat. Uh, and look, I mean, I would have felt threatened. Of course, the guy shouldn't have been. You shouldn't be like a teenager well, running around with an assault rifle. Right. But, well, that. But they don't charge him with that. The the the, the criminal law doesn't get that's it. That's the problem. The, doesn't get at the thing that he did wrong, which is show up in the first mm -hmm. place. Right. Right. Well, that's the problem. Uh, or laws that let people roam the streets with assault rifles. Uh, but um, the uh, so uh, on this uh, this Pfizer pill. Right. Here's a question, like. I mean, it seems to me in principle. So the result is this this uh, 
Pfizer COVID therapy, they are saying um, cuts. Uh, I'm reading from the piece. The company's drug cut the risk of hospitalization or death in, in study subjects with mild to moderate COVID-19 by about 89% if they took the pill within three days of diagnosis. Now, that's basically saying, like if you imagine a world in which everyone who gets COVID and gets a reasonably prompt diagnosis takes this pill, that that moves the death rate by a decimal point, okay? And that would, to me, you know, this, this disease has always been kind of in the twilight zone. Yeah, it's scary. It is bad. It's scary. It's horrifying. It's a, it's a terrible death. But it doesn't kill a very high percentage of people. I personally think it's high enough for us to take it, you know, pretty damn seriously. But if you move the death rate a whole decimal point, like, you know, like suddenly I say have have uh, I don't know what my chances now would be. I mean, of course, I'm vaxxed, but leave that aside. It just seems to me that you're a lot closer to the flu, right? In terms of death rate. I, I mean, would think though Scott Gottlieb has proclaimed that this will end the, end the pandemic as far as, you know, a public health emergency. Exactly what you say. But he's on the board of Pfizer, which has the cure. So. He's also, was he a Trump appointee or was he already there when Trump? I think he was uh, already there. Okay. Um, I, I don't, I, 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 he doesn't have a terrible reputation. I think he has a pretty good reputation. But I mean, the question I'm asking, you would think that the availability of this moves some of these debates in the direction of anti-maskers, maybe even anti-vaxxers. I mean, they will right. certainly invo oh, sure. invoke this unless they're so skeptical of big pharma that they will deny no, this. And there's, and they, no, and they'll seize on it. And and, yeah. and uh, there's also a Merck, uh, some sort of Merck drug. 89%. That is the one from a few, from weeks ago, right? That's Lovox? No, it's something else. I forget. There, anyway, the 89% the is not enough for paranoids like me. I want 99%. Yeah, but if you look at the, the what the numbers were to begin with, like if you get COVID, uh, even, right. you know, our, our right, demographic right. is not all that favorable, but if we got COVID, I mean, even if, even if I hadn't been vaxxed and even at my age, I think my chances of dying if I get COVID were never even as high as one in a hundred, I don't think. Well, if you move into one in a thousand, uh, you know, I think I'd be, I'd be back in the, at the nightclubs being my ordinary <laughs> self. You know? I think the death rate in some areas has been one in a thousand. Just pretty well, high for different demographics. Pretty high, pretty high. For, yeah, yeah, but by I, my, yeah, by but my so look at people who are in that, and that's if you get the. There's a lot of people who are in that category if they get the illness. You move that to one in ten thousand. I don't know. The, um, and of course, uh, and question. of course, they're now discovering genetic genetic differences that predispose some people uh, to have more severe consequences. They discovered a a gene that is prevalent in only 15% of Europeans, but a lot of South Asians. That but make, not East Asians. Or yeah. not really? Make, yeah, it's a very low frequency in East Asians, kind of medium in Europeans and high in South yeah. Asians, I think. Uh, that, but they're going to discover other ones. And it, it makes me wonder, given the, given the awful death rate in the Latino community, whether there's some Latino uh, high prevalence gene that makes it worse for them. You know, in general... Latinos have a health advantage. They have the Latinos live longer. Uh, mm -hmm. Nobody could quite figure out why, but they do. So this would be a 
major disadvantage. Um, but uh, they're going to discover more. I mean, this isn't the first. This is just the first one they've discovered, I think. By the way, I have an update on uh, lab leak uh, hypothesis. It's a, Somebody uh, corrected something I said last week. Uh, this comes from username KCZ. I think that's her name on Twitter, too. And I didn't even know, know if it's a her. The, the picture is of some, some actress from days gone by, I think. Anyway. Uh, I had said, uh, she left this comment on the Blogging Heads TV website. I had said that, uh, you know, the the lab leak, just quickly, famous scientist David Baltimore had said, for him, the smoking gun in favor of lab leak hypothesis was that some weird sequence had been inserted in the uh, COVID, or or there was a weird sequence in the COVID DNA sequences that you would think would have been inserted and wouldn't have happened naturally. Everybody said, but why would anybody insert that? What could the logic possibly be? I had reported, I had said last week, you know, they've now found that there actually was an application, even though it was denied, to insert uh, that very thing in some kind of bat virus. I don't know. That, uh, that, that wouldn't have turned it into COVID, but I think it was a bat virus. Anyway, it was some kind of virus. She, uh, I had suggested that the application was made to uh, National Institutes of Health, but the grant application that was turned down, I did say it was turned down, but it was actually made to DARPA, the Pentagon Research Agency, and and they turned it down. But what I want to know is why why is the why is DARPA are the Pentagon entertaining? I mean, I'm sure what they would say is it's for defensive right. bioweapons. Right. Okay. But at the same time, if you, if this fact emerged about Chinese research, same grant proposal uh, that was being submitted to that mi- a military agency, we'd kind of freak out. There, were, um, there, there was some pro-lab leak story this week, which I haven't read, but I will have read it by the paradroom. Okay, uh, I'm writing it down. The, um, the, uh, speaking of China, mm-hmm. there was a very good eye-opening article for me in the American Prospect, which I will which we'll post on the Bloggy Heads website, the link. Um, uh, very anti-China. Bob Kuttner's got a bee in his bonnet. This is not ahead. an anti-China article. Oh, then this, I... This is an article about how Xi's big initiatives called, I think it's called Common Prosperity, is actually addressing many of the same problems with like rampant capitalism that we worry about here. Uh, inequality, and in, in, you know, there's, there is this lay-down movement, which I got for bringing up, uh, which is, you know, Chinese, you know, workers who decide, fuck, I'm, I'm through with this rat race, it's ridiculous, and they just sort of take a job and take it easy. It's called laying down. They're not so ambitious, uh, not so uh, uh, money, money conscious. And uh, that's very similar to people not coming back after COVID and saying, fuck it, I don't want this job. I want to, you know, read novels about lesbian nuns or go to grad school or get some more skills. I, I, they're just not happy with the way their lives are going. Uh, which of these Which of these three items doesn't belong in this sequence? But go ahead. NPR did a story on, on these people. And one of the women said, I'm having such a great time. There's this great novel about lesbian nuns. It's so much more fun than my job. Uh, you know, that and, was helpful. Next. Thank you. I, I think I did you a service by asking. Anyway, anyway so I think it was a real, a real example. But um, uh, it's very similar phenomenon, and, and, and Z is sort of trying to address them. 
and he has more power because he's a dictator. So, so you know, the argument, the, the argument of peace is that Z, in Z's eyes, uh, you know, he has the power to address these things, and then it's not irrational and completely power hungry that he's addressing them. These are actually problems that, according to this piece, the Chinese people have that, right. that the, the party has recognized and said, oh, shit, we have to deal with them. He has the power to address them, and our sclerotic Congress can't even pass the Build Back Better deal, bill, so fuck right, it. Right. No, I mean, uh, look- that, is, that is his view. And it was a, actually a, not completely sympathetic. It recognizes how corrupt, for example, the system is, uh, especially in real estate. But, uh, uh, you know, it, um, it was a very good piece. It was not. No, I mean, it, people don't appreciate uh, how, you know, good the Chinese. I mean, you know, it's obviously not a democracy, but people don't appreciate uh, how much effort it spends on uh, sensing what the grievances are of the people and actually addressing them. You, it's a very centralized, ultimately, I guess, approach to it. I don't, and, and I think China has kind of a long, long history of, of doing this, but that's true. And people are, as I've said, they, they can do their little local protests and authorities will pay attention and often do something about it. And you, you, could, uh, you could still hate C after reading this article, but it's, it will give your, give your views more depth. Uh, now, you know, the other, uh, another place she. where she, yeah. we say they now, Mickey, just kidding. Uh, the, the, um, you know, the other place where his, uh, godlike power matters, climate change. Uh, do you realize I thought, they, a, I thought he didn't show up at the Glasgow summit and he, he didn't. And, and, and I think that's his way of, you know, of saying, just sh- shut up about our, our, our domestic, you know, about all the things I don't want you to talk about ranging from Taiwan to the Uyghurs. But, um, and I don't know if it's a bluff or not. And, and, it, and it, but, but it is the case. There's a, we did a little item about this in the, uh, in today's non-zero newsletter. Um, the, uh, they, do you know any nuclear reactors they plan to build within the next 15 years by way of addressing climate change? 120. 150, you were close. 150 nuclear reactors. That's more than the entire world has built in the last like 35 years or something. And he can do it. They can, they, they may well do it. And in 15 or 20 years, the story may be they're, they're on top of the climate change game. I don't know. Um, but, uh. Uh, so yeah, so um, it, it's also it, it, the, the real estate crisis is sort is sort of interesting because somehow the prices of houses are appreciating yet they're completely overbuilt uh, and they're they're actually like they've built so many extra houses in a nation of one billion people that they're actually tearing some of them down. Uh, you mean in China, in China, which I don't oh, well, that's that, that sort of suggests a crisis. Sorry, it's a big crisis. There's a big crisis. But I don't there. think I mean, prices uh, have gone down. I don't think prices have gone down. I think the regulators have have cracked down and forced Evergrande and these people to basically sell some of their assets. But it's not it's not that the assets are are would be worth less, uh, except that everybody knows Evergrande selling them in a distress sale. Uh, right. The other interesting point that John Ellis's um, uh, newsletter clued me into is their mortgage system works differently from ours and that basically the buyer is uh is 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 on the hook in other words if if evergrand 
somehow, if uh, I, I I don't know enough about, you don't get funding from a third party. You actually, you the buyer, uh, if if Evergrande defaults on its payments, the actual consumer takes the hit, not the not the mortgage company. Uh, well, I mean, if you were, I, I mean, first of all. There, I heard that that a million and a half people in China have paid Evergreen a lot of money for apartments that don't even exist. Right. Okay, they were buying them, making a big down payment, and then payments for apartments that hadn't even been built, and it looks like they'll never be built. So right. they're screwed. But I don't understand why they would be less screwed in America. I mean, if I've paid my down payment and a bunch of payments to the mortgage company. I don't think the mortgage company is going to refund my money if the house turns out not to get built or something, right? I'll try to figure that out by the par- for the parent room, but it does work differently. and it, it has a direct effect on consumer spending in a way that, like the SNL crisis, did not have an effect in the United mm-hmm. States. Um, Evergrande also sold their, they're, they're selling their company jets to, to scrape up money to make their uh, debt payments or at least I, not default. I do like the idea of the way every every initiative in China has a number to it, so it's the three red lines. That's what that's what he imposed. That was what she imposed on the mortgage industry, and they're the ten grave problems, and they're the five this and the the you know the four that. It's it's very helpful. Yeah, we should start it's, numbering things. We need bullet points. You and I should start doing it. Um, I'm the, I'm the I'm two, ready. The two the two guys you should listen to every Friday, like that, something like that. Um, there's a whole, um, the, uh, the newsletter craze reached new heights this week. Um, why who signed on? Well, Atlantic announced nine new newsletters and they're oh, weird God. newsletters that they're not, they're not Substack newsletters. They're, they're like, they're all, they're associated with the Atlantic and paid by the Atlantic. And I don't think they're, they're if they meet certain subscriber goals, but you don't pay to hear them. It's just to encourage you to subscribe to The Atlantic. But you have to be, a. Uh, by the way, our alarm, this is our five-minute warning. We've been on 55 minutes. My alarm just went on. Um, the, uh, well, wait. So, first of all, not on the Substack platform, but you don't get these for free, right? I mean, you have to be at least a You have, a to, be, you have, you have to subscribe to The Atlantic. But, the, yeah. the, the, but it's like, I, why would you, writing a newsletter is hard work, and why would you do that every day? I mean, I can't do it. I've tried. I've well, if the Atlantic paid you a lot of money, would you do it? Yeah, if they paid me three hundred thousand dollars, if they paid me Matt Iglesias money, I would do it. But they but you know, the the whole the whole allure of would, writing a newsletter now a lot of money per word in your case. But go ahead. The, the whole the whole uh, the, it's one the, the one word I write is a good word, Bob. Worth four hundred thousand dollars. The uh, it's, it's enemy. The idea of, is is you get rich. That's what motivates people. Doing all that work just to get fucking. $50,000 from the Atlantic? I mean... You don't know what they're paying them, right? No, I don't know. It could be more than that. It's probably more than that. It's Mrs. Jobs. God, I looked money. at them and I just thought, Blob Central. You know, Molly Jung Fast is a very good writer. So they may be good, good writers, but I mean, everyone whose foreign not, policy view I'm aware of, whoever gets into that space, it's like, oh God, I please. doubt she but is... Totally predictable, totally predictable. I doubt she is blobby. She's sort of progressive Democrat, mocks Republicans. Yeah, but that's you know, I understand. That's a big part of the blob problem. That is a that there are tons, you know, tons of of blobby people. But I doubt she was on board with say the war in Iraq. Just 
having, I doubt she having, publicly opposed it. I don't even know who she. I, oh, all I, I think, know is her name. Oh, I think I think she probably did. I've met her. Okay, well, let's bet. How much you want to bet? I've met her, and she's great. She's just like us. I'll bet she did not. She is not on record opposing the Iraq War, and I didn't. I know nothing about. Okay, her, I'll bet you that. You're saying she was I'll bet you that. I'll bet you that. I'll bet you. I, okay, now I'm not saying she she is on record supporting it. I'm saying she's not on record opposing. It. Right. No, I understand. How much is the How much is the bet? Uh, ten dollars. What I made in royalties on my book last year. Okay. Ten dollars and thirty. I, I, I'm, I'm willing to add a decimal point two, three, four, five to that. But your call. Just name your decimal point. Um, no, ten dollars is fine. I mean, I mean, how much do we think Hegel got in royalties? I don't know. You know who was bitterly uh, resentful of Hegel? If I've got the story right, was Schopenhauer. Do I have that right? I don't know. Or is um, that the wrong? Uh... It, it. I was thinking about you. You're. I would think you were Hegelian since you you sort of. Your book Non-Zero has a has a sort of dialectic that ends with some sort of universal. Yeah, but I'm a materialist. But you're like, but you're a materialist, they, so you've like you've combined Marx and Hegel in a productive way. Well, I don't know if I've combined. I mean, Fukuyama is Hegelian. He's an, he, he he's 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 all about the evolution of the ideas, and I'm I I think the ideas tend to flow from the uh, material. But I, I mean, that's ideas do evolve of themselves. Well, it that's just, the question. To well, what extent is that autonomous? And to what extent is it a reflection of technological evolution and so on? I mean, but sometimes it's clearly autonomous. That you know, the, it's logical that as rock bands get louder and louder, A, the next band will be even louder, and B, then there'll be a blowback and people want it softer. I mean, that, that sort of has nothing to do with materialism. But the really big, important ideas... You know, when if, if you have an idea and it comes in a con conflict with how people earn their money and make a living, the making a living is going to win out and the ideas are going to change. That's the way I so that's how I see it. it. It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that there no there's no sort of, you know, internal uh, non-materialist evolution of ideas, but uh, they also have to meet the materialist test. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough question to wrap your mind around. Uh, I, that's, I'll confidently say that. Um, you say that with complete confidence. That's, that, uh, we want more from Hegel than I that. mean, you know, we are in the ideas game. We must think that there is some point in intervening at the level of ideas, right? We think that ideas matter. And, I, and so I, I definitely believe they matter in some sense or they matter within some parameters uh, or, you know. Uh, so I'm not. I I wouldn't deny that. I mean, it was sort of logical that if you if if the New Deal dispenses a lot of money to workers, that somebody's going to come along and say, "Wait, we should just dispense the money to everyone and have a universal a UBI." Right? I mean, that's sort of going to happen. The question is, does this seed fall on fertile ground or not? And you're determined that it not, not if, uh, but not. But not Sam Hammond, who reveres you as a god. Uh, so. That was so nice of him. And, you know, uh, nice of you to start the podcast that way, which leads me to the fact that we are now at the one hour mark and we are duty bound to start winding this down. But quickly, I would just say that, you know what happened without us even realizing it? You know what died? You know what institution? I mean, it's not officially dead, but it's looking pretty glassy eyed.
or not the Atlantic, they have a, no. a, a, a very good new publisher who's going to give them at least a few years before they fail again. Who's the new publisher? Nick Thompson. Oh, I thought he was president, but yeah. Oh, he, well, he's, he, will, he runs the business side. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's yeah. great. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, you know, uh, waiting, waiting for, uh, no, I don't know what else died. Goo. The committee um, for a free world that died a long time ago. No, it, it, it didn't die in name. It's still there, but I just hadn't realized that it was, and we will not turn this into. We work. We work seems worry. to be dying. You're, you're getting a little closer. Uber. You know, you're in that Silicon Valley space, which is. Theranos. Yahoo. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Theranos has definitely seen better days. Yeah. Ozzy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you're getting there. You're getting there. Uh. Solana's still there. The Must Salon Death Watch answer. has been going on for like 30 years now. And with good reason. Must I give you the answer? Yes. When was the last time you heard anybody rave about Clubhouse? Oh, well, yeah, that's, um, I mean, that's, that's like, you know, Soho House. It's like, stop being cool. Exactly. And, and we're somebody happy about that. Somebody blamed Eric Weinstein. Claiming he scared everybody away. That would be a great meme to spread. Seems implausible. I think it probably had some kind of structural problem. Also, it never rolled out to Android. I mean, come on. How self-satisfied are we here? I just, I blame their algorithm. There was, you know, I've, I, I bought this new phone just solely just so I could listen to Clubhouse. Yeah. Uh, I was happy with Android, but I bought the iPhone just so I could oh listen God. to Clubhouse. That's pathetic. And and, That's um, like the way you drive across the country to go to a party. That's the exact no. same part of you, Mickey. Yes, it is. My only friend in town told me that if I bought this clubhouse, I could I could kick ass on clubhouse and it would change my life. And she's given me try right. No, she's given me because I'm too timid. But she's give she's given me good advice before, and I figured there's no harm in owning an iPhone, so why not do it? Um, but uh. It would never serve up conversations that I was interested in, except for one group run by my friend Richard Rushfield, which was hilariously funny and made my day for half an hour. And the phone was worth it just for just for that half hour every day. It showed mm. it showed you the possibilities that were there. And then Rush, Rushfield abandoned it. And there was Clubhouse with a, a vast desert for me. I think the mm -hmm. algorithm just served up crap. It was it was the, the it didn't. Maybe the good stuff is there and it's just not serving it up to me. I think Aaron, Eric Weinstein killed it. It, it doesn't Don't serve me up, Eric Weinstein. Up. It serves me up somebody named Josiah Neely, who's always talking. And every, every hour I get, Josiah Neely is talking about something else. Um, I assume this person... To see, just, have you no. ever gone in to see... Well, then it is a bad algorithm if it keeps serving it up and you never click. That's yeah. what, that's the very definition of a bad algorithm. Okay, I want to be. So I want the algorithm that serves me up a, a, a thing where I am the hottest guy in the room, and so people will want to harvest my sperm. Uh, supposedly that happens. If you're you, supposedly if, just, if you were a hot just, guy on Clubhouse, people called you up from sperm banks and said, "Can we have your sperm?" I'm serious about that. Mm -hmm. It's never happened to me for unknown reasons, but. And it then does they, happen uh, to hot guys. And then you get uh, paid to, to masturbate and 
can't beat that as a way to make a living. Bob, Hegel would never have said that. That's just not Woody Allen th- said it. Woody Allen said it in a movie long ago, back when it, we were in a more conservative America. He was, I forget which movie, but he said, eh, you just masturbate into a little cup. I, um, I, I didn't hear the sentence after you said the word masturbate. I just checked out. What can I say? Um, it was that jarring. Sorry. Well, it was we'll that jarring. That. Don't worry. Okay, so what are we going to talk about was, in the parrot room? Now, now we, we've taken care of that subject. Uh, we won't be talking about that. For a couple of decades. Glad I got please. it out of the way. Yeah. Um, uh, well, it is, it is. Look, it is part of the process, Mickey. I'm sorry. Did you think it just like magically happens? You give them permission to impregnate women with your semen and you just, it's like. No, I know how it happens, it Bob. I just online. don't. There's some things I don't talk about. Uh, there is some <laughs> well, Epstein. Look, we, we we talked about Jeffrey Tubin weeks on end. Okay, that's true. We had a whole vocabulary. That's I should very, have used, that's the, I should have used the euphemism, pleasuring right. your parrot. Right, which we, we did not. With at that point. Uh, yes, I believe. I, that was my bad. I meant pleasuring your parrot. Okay. <laughs> um, well, there's, um, there is some Epstein news that I don't know about, but I will know about by the parrot room. Okay, now you got to keep track of these, okay? I don't want to take the blame. There's the lab leak. Yeah. Uh, There is corruption at the Cato Institution. There's the embarrassment of the Lincoln Project. There's, can Joe Manchin really get away with driving a Maserati? That seems pretty amazing. Uh, There's gas uh, powered, yes. Really? Okay, if it's coal-powered, yes. It's a coal-powered mess. There's, uh, um, go ahead, there's the Biden offering $450,000 to every person who was separated from their child at the border. Uh, and in uh, this being a politically toxic issue. Uh, there's do we want, we can talk about the salt deduction if you want. Oh, sounds. Uh, yeah, actually, I live in a salt relevant state. Th- that is the uh, state and local. Uh, there, there's Henry Kissinger being alarmed at the uh, competition between the U.S. and China. Mm. And if you've alarmed Henry Kissinger and it's Bob Wright, it's all his fault. Well, you can talk about that. Mm. Uh there's uh, the future of custom cars, which is actually very exciting. Yeah, you can no, get into that. Um, uh, that's all I got. Not a lot. Okay. Um, what do I have? I'll have uh, an up- uh, update on yeah. how fucked up the congressional vote is. But go ahead. So go ahead. Oh, oh, I will briefly, I'll say briefly mention this Alan Dulles book I'm reading and maybe even give us another best and brightest update. I am slogging through that book, which is my own personal Vietnam. I will report on the unkind things uh, Sam Harris said on me on the Decoding the Gurus podcast. I, Still kind of smarting about that. Uh, I hate to tell you, Bob. Yeah. I think Sam Harris was on one of these lists too. Not the list of the top 10 people, but just the list of all the great minds you can see on the web that we never would have been exposed to before. And one of them was Eric Weinstein. One of them was Steve Pinker. One of them was you. But one of them was Sam Harris. I'll take care of that. Okay. Okay. Um, 
the uh, you already said lab leak. Uh, I still haven't watched your Velvet Underground doc. I'm getting around to it. Um, the uh, it's going to be it's going to be bitten, gone, and trashed by the time you get around to it. I did watch part one of the Foundation. Are you an Asimov fan? I never, I, I've never read read him, but I'm watching apparently the first episode of. Like, Foundation. like every every other kid, I read the first Foundation, loved it, and hmm. never got around to the second Foundation, which is hard to find. It must really suck. You hmm. you, you can find the first one, and you can find the third one, which is about how the mule, the uh, the mule has destroyed the grand plans for of of this genius, and the mule is a Trump like figure. And but but the the second one where the mule actually wins the first battle, it, go ahead try to find it. Even you. Okay. So maybe we can talk a little about foundation in the pair room. Uh, also, and this is a segue to uh, a reminder of the treat that comes at the end of this podcast: the Walter Kern mashup. I mean, if people don't know who he is, he's a an accomplished novelist. Uh, wrote the novel that the the George Clooney movie Up in the Air was based on, which kind of anticipated Trumpism in a sense, I think. And we talked about that. But uh, so so, um, aren't you reading his book on Clark Rockefeller? I, I, I read. I listened to the whole thing. It's very good. It's it's called uh, Blood Will Out, and uh, I recommend it as a short real life. Ah, you wouldn't call it a mystery anyway. I, I'll talk about that a little in the pair room. It's very good. It, be- um, it begins with a dog. A dog figures centrally. <laughs> a dog that even I wouldn't have probably spent the time uh, rehabilitating. And and you know how I am about my dogs. Here they are. Um, so we should uh, we should head out. Let people uh, watch their Walter Kern clips and. Uh, if they're intrigued, go to patreon.com slash room, or they could just click uh, smash the like button, rate and review. Okay, and uh, we'll have... Go, go read your newsletter. You, you've actually been prolific. You've, you've put out a couple of newsletters lately. I know. I've Cows files. I've exhausted my Sudafed limit with the state of California. I'm going to have to move on to the harder stuff. Walter tweeted about Sudafed. What is it about you Trump supporters in Sudafed? That's our little secret. We tweak yeah. on Sudafed. Apparently. Okay. So all about the Sudafed. <laughs> all right. We will see you in the pair. I, I spent my life uh in in sort of middle America. First because I was born there and grew up there, and then by choice. I have a lot of mm, sympathy for people who feel they are being played with by the gods, the sort of Thomas Hardy characters of America who, 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 who feel, you know, there's a town in Iowa that's kind of the lodestar of my political feeling called Newton, Iowa. It used to be the Maytag uh, um, city, sort of the Detroit of, of dishwashers and refrigerators. One day, Maytag because of free trade and the Chicago School of Economics and everything else disappeared from a town of about 25,000 people. They couldn't buy football equipment for the team. Houses that had been worth X were now worth one third. America told them to learn the code 
leave grandma in the nursing home there in Newton and go out to, I don't know, Mountain View, where supposedly you'll be able to afford a motel room and try to get a job. When I saw the cruelty that the mm, uh, masters of the universe um, visited on the place I grew up, it was for me a defining moment. And it happened slowly starting in the 90s, though in some ways it happened even earlier in agricultural farm country where I live, because, you know, that place had its crash back when Jimmy Carter told them all to, you know, borrow against their land, buy tractors and become super producers. And they all went broke when interest rates went. Mm. So I, I've seen middle America fall off cliffs and down staircases my whole lifetime at the mercy of the big planners. And this is a country that's supposedly about its people. It's not a country about share prices. It's not a country about utopian socialist visions either. It's a country which is, in a sense, trying to do the best for what is essentially an island, a giant island of people who came from all over the world. And it has knocked them sideways time and time again with these sort of huge, um, airy, lofty decisions. And, and, and so I don't know that I'd even call myself a conservative. You know, uh, when I was a kid and, and, and younger, I probably identified with the Hubert Humphrey style Democrats, the so-called Democratic Farmer Labor Party of Minnesota. But the notion that the progressive mainstream Democratic Party somehow had these people's interests in mind was impossible to maintain. And when I moved out east and I saw that the makers and engineers of American opinion and American uh, institutional power were all people who partied together on Martha's Vineyard, basically. I mean, I used to work at Spy Magazine, and one time we decided we wanted to do a map of the establishment, and every editor was given um, the, the assignment. Who sits at the very center of the American establishment? And I really studied it. I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I used my own social experience at Princeton and New York. And I decided it's Carly Simon. It's Carly <laughs> Simon and James Taylor on Martha's Vineyard. Or, or where I, I've never known the difference between that and Nantucket, but wherever they are. They're very and, different. And, 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 and when Clinton used to go on vacation, in the summer, they always go to Martha's Vineyard. Right. Carly Simon would always be at the bottom of the staircase greeting him from the plane. And so I felt vindicated in my in, in my guest. And and I, Carly Simon doesn't give a goddamn about Newton, Iowa or anything between the mainland of Massachusetts and Hawaii. And, and, and so how could one not want to advocate for what one feels is this you know, great inner space in America. Walter, um, have you ever thought about running for president? Oh, man, I have. And <laughs> I was astonished by his speech at the 2016 convention, Mickey. 
To be honest, it blew me away. I felt like I was hearing more blunt, I hesitate to say truth telling, but shoot from the hip, just, you know, laying it down. It did not seem like a political speech. I'd seen you before at the 2012 Democratic Convention and watched Obama's second acceptance speech, which to me was as cardboard and, you know, um, uh, unrooted a, a speech as I'd ever seen. And I'd seen Obama on the campaign trail in 2008. Then when I saw Trump stride out and give what was described universally the next day as a dystopian, dark, you know, disturbing vision of America, it was like this casino boss walking onto the floor in a in a Scorsese movie and just sending all the minions, you know, fluttering with his, you know, Goddard Domerung address. And, and, And so. When he won, which I felt immediately he would after seeing that speech, there was the question of whether everything would just turn into a, a comic book and, and, and the country would fall apart. And when, despite his personality and despite, I think, the disarray in his administration, the country didn't fall apart. When, in fact, for three years until the dawn of COVID, right up until that last um, Right up until that last uh, uh, um, State of the Union address, things seemed pretty good, effervescent and strong in America. I thought, wow, you know, uh, we don't have to hire lawyers as president forever. I suggest (laughs) that when when you go into the forest of Substack and alternative media, you need to be vigilant and observant and selective in a way you don't have to with the mainstream media, only because in the mainstream media, everything's the same. You know, um, how can I put it? Picking and choosing your your sources between the Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN, and so on is pointless because they've all, they're all coming from the same fountain of establishment, you know, uh, propaganda, basically. Um, so I, I only say, I only say, be aware of your environment in, in, in the Substack universe. But to be like very blunt, it's the most creative and fertile place right now in journalism. And, and, uh, and, 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 and I probably read the alternative or mm, entrepreneurial media uh, at a rate of nine to one over the mainstream. I I know what they're saying without reading their papers now. I I, I can actually read a conspiracy theory or some alt, uh, you know, bizarre take on the news, and I can infer what what the mainstream news is saying. Uh, I can I can reverse engineer to right. see what they're against, what they're reacting against. I look at politics as a drama critic might, to some extent. Um, I I or or a German sociologist of around 1900. Uh, I, I examine the the archetypes, the charisma of people, the sort of um, dramatic. Uh, mythos of their presentation, because 
I'll tell you honestly, I don't think politics is an honest game in which people, you know, press uh, rational uh, programs that can be easily um, situated on a spectrum. I, I, I think it's I think it's showbiz to some extent, or it has been for a while with, with a lot of interests and a lot of money and a lot of, you know, um, think tanks in the background. But 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 when I saw Trump, what I saw was a relief from an America that was, as you say, inhibited, becoming deeply inauthentic, scripted, and somewhat alienated from uh, from, from 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 the animals, its animal spirits. And, and and I saw its animal spirits awakening. And 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 that was the same thing that a lot of progressives saw as dangerous about Trump. Because the, the minute they see the, the minute they see, you know, responsive crowds, they think Lenny Rafenstahl, you know, uh, despite having despite having celebrated Obama's ability to excite that um response. Um so so I was like, American culture, politi- politics, and so on, are to me are one big ball of wax. And I saw it starting to open up and change. And I saw the American people doing something which I think we have a genius for, which is trying something new. And, and, and so I wasn't going to immediately shout that down. And, and, and when I saw my colleagues in lockstep, take this as some kind of, you know, uh, descent into, uh, you know, blood and soil, fascist propaganda. I thought, oh, come on. I mean, he has no black, he has no brown shirts. He waited until he was 70 something to start his, you know, um, you know, to do his putsch. No, I just never bought it. I know. Yes, the Proud Boys, Walter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the other thing is I lived in Montana during the 90s when the so-called militia movement was the great boogeyman of the Clinton administration, you know, and, you know, uh, after Waco and Oklahoma City and so on. And I knew that this is 11 guys meeting at a Ramada Inn, you know, and, and it never got bigger than that. And yet I had to read headlines every day about this percolating insurrection. I, I just it's just not one of my fears as a person. Now, what what about uh... the apocalypticism about American democracy is to me more dangerous than the um, brouhaha of American democracy. This country has been a flipping gang fight for a couple of hundred years politically and it was in lincoln's day and 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 it was you know half the people think lincoln stole that election half the people think you know uh you know mcclellan almost stole it um but i i I really feel that this talk about we're on the brink of the end of democracy suggests that we're going to replace it with we're going to need to replace it with something more durable because and it's and it's talk that's going to only lead to more of what we fear. Democracy, giving everybody, every Joe a vote and having them 
counted by a million different municipalities and so on and and you know trucked around by mailmen and stuff you think that's going to be freaking smooth that that that's i mean that that's an insane dream that we have this is going to be a battle royal and that we let it be i think is fine that we act as though we may have to snatch away this system and replace it with what you know mark zuckerberg chooses the president i mean when ross perot ran back in the 90s and made all his you know chalkboard predictions about nafta that were all laughed off um i laughed with him because i was an establishment journalist but the guy seemed like the biggest kook of all time but to see to see that it took only a sort of smart businessman to read the writing on the wall. It did also change me somewhat. I mean, we, you know, and I speak to NAFTA in particular, but, but we know where we're going to some extent. We know that the little guy's getting littler and we, we've squeezed about all we can out of them. You know, you can't, you can't get, more lopsided in income distribution than we are now probably without being, you know, El Salvador or something. And, and, and so um, I don't feel that it's incumbent on me to have an ideology. It's incumbent on me to know when things have gotten way out of balance. And, and, and I just don't see this political establishment for all its ability to settle things behind closed doors and in you know in a genteel way i don't i don't see it doing anything but rushing further and further into this devastating imbalance um and and populism I, you know what's so bad what's so funny about populism to quote elvis costello or something um it's it's Peopleism, right? And what's so bad about people? America seems to be all about everything but its people. Uh, it, it's got, you know, wonderful imperialist and, and technocratic and, you know, foreign policy ideas. But St. Louis, they could drop a bomb on it. And I don't think a lot of people would care in Washington. And sometimes I fear a bomb will be dropped on it for that reason. You know, um, uh, I'm protective of flyover country because what is politics but being loyal to your mm, loyalty for you? Oh, he froze up. For it. Why do I have to get up in some 19th century way and have a great theory of? Right. I remember that uh, we were. I'm trying to think of why was I anti-populist in the Clinton era. And I guess you, Midwestern people were people who didn't have the gumption to to, uh, you know, rent the U-Haul and move in in in, you know, to where the jobs were and change is what produced capitalism, capitalism success. And uh, we were becoming sclerotic and resistant to change because they wouldn't leave grandma in the nursing home and, and go to where the jobs were the way Americans always had before. I guess that was one strand of it. And the other strand was that they were fighting an income inequality that was uh, it was futile to fight it, and you should learn to live with it. 
Yeah, Walter, when it comes to income inequality, I'm on the same page as you, and Mickey is, uh, I'm afraid, not. But No, I've come uh, around a little. Uh, you got a funny way of showing it. 